Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, the interview podcast where comedians, performers and promoters wax lyrical on their experiences in the world of comedy. If only you could see the things we've seen through these eyes. I'm your host Mark Decano and I endorse this message. I love talking to comedians about comedy and if you like listening to what they have to say as much as I do, then please like, subscribe, review, rate and share the podcast. My guest on this episode was as much a stranger to Britain's shores as he was to stand-up comedy when he first appeared at the Comedy Store eight years ago. And since then, he's been a critically acclaimed Edinburgh Fringe regular. It's stand-up comedian Luca Capani. Hello. Hi, Mark. Hi, Luca. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm good. I'm good. If you're happy, we'll jump right in, okay? Yeah. (laughs) Good. So you are Italian-born. Were you performing comedy in Italy? Not when, not before starting doing comedy in London. I first started doing comedy in London. Mm-hmm. I was a funny guy with people around me, friends, but I never thought this could become a, a job. Uh, it was yeah. my way to to fit in, probably. You know, when you have a group of friends, if you're not the coolest, if you're not the fittest, you try mm-hmm. to be the funniest. So at least uh, they will uh, they will be happy to have you around. So. <laughs> So you came to Britain. Did you come to the UK specifically to do comedy? No, not really. Uh, I came to the UK to become an actor because I, mm-hmm. as an actor in Italy, I tried a little bit mainly uh, theatre, not not uh, film anything, but very small role. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this was mm-hmm. a sort of a light bulb moment for me because for me because I never travelled before. I never uh, left my country, my hometown before. So mm-hmm. when I was told. You could uh, move to London, and they uh, sometimes they have actors that are from other countries. And mm. I thought, okay, let's try. And then I found out that accent wasn't a problem. But in my case, I was <laughs> told that uh, I was told that I look more Polish, Eastern European. So right. if they're getting an Italian actor to play a commercial anywhere, I would be too um, not Italian enough. My face wouldn't match. Um, would match the accent. Mm. It, I know it's so. After a few weeks uh, trying doing casting, I realized this uh, uncomfortable truth. Uh, and uh, a friend suggested me to try and do comedy instead because uh, he said you are funny. You could uh, make people laugh. There were things called open mics uh, gigs where you didn't need to have a, an agent. Just go on stage you don't need to be uh introduced by someone you just turn up you you apply and then you get your moment on stage Mm -hmm. so that was my um the thing that hooked me the possibility of skip all the uh vetting process if you want right and uh, my first so i i looked for uh, some open mic and the best open mic according to google was the gong show in the comedy store yes and I got a spot and I thought, wow, that's easy. It's just really because it's apparently the best open mic. I've already got the chance to be on stage. I didn't know how comedy, how the gong show works. I found out <laughs> uh, that night. My only knowledge of comedy clubs was through Seinfeld, the TV shows. Yeah. So my, my idea was sort of a jazz club. I was expecting a um, wall, brick wall and a lit round table. <laughs> not in laughing no, not exactly what you get when you get to the comedy store it's uh, on the gong show it's 400 drunk people 
and yeah, they just want you to, they want to enjoy in seeing you fail. So that was my, my first approach with comedy. I realized that, that uh, yeah, it was different and uh, mm-hmm. I didn't know things. Uh, my English was much worse than, than it is now. I didn't prepare the, it, I never did comedy before. And uh, I thought it was more sort of a friendly chat where you find something funny. That was my, yeah, like Seinfeld. Have you noticed that this and that? Once I get there, I realized it wasn't what I was expecting. A lot of people were mentioning Croydon and people were laughing. <laughs> okay, that's Croydon is funny, apparently. Someone was mentioning Jimmy Savile. Mm-hmm. Mixed reaction. <laughs> Who was the guy? I didn't know anything, so, okay. And uh, I thought, uh, come up with a nice line, the opening line, which was more of a sort of a chat-up line. My first line was, um, Luca, I am single and I am HIV negative. Because I thought when they gong me off, at least I already set the fundamental, the, 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 the basics. I'm single, available, and safe. And my idea was I might talk to a, a girl and I, I, it, let's turn it into a sort of a speed dating, collective speed dating, where I just offer myself as a sort of available person. But I laughed when I mentioned HIV negative because I had a test a, a, week, a, week, a week before and that was negative. So I had to explain why, and they laughed about it. And then I didn't know what to say anymore because uh, that bit was over in my mind. So I got a lot of laughter out of maybe uh, sympathy because of how uh, broken was my English. Uh, I was how broken my English was. Sorry, this is still broken. And uh, uh, I was uh, uh, I was genuine. I remember the very end. I had a bit uh, that I still use sometimes where I made an impression of, of my own penis, which in a way it's a classic way to end a comedy club set, uh, the penis joke. But I just said that the pen- I have a penis, I cannot show you, but it looks like me, bold with a beard. And luckily at that point there was the hallelujah. And uh, I beat the gong and then there was the one minute with the clap off and I won that. Um, and, and then uh, I won the night but I didn't even know what I won I had no idea how important or big this could be I remember I emailed uh, the comedy store a few weeks later saying I, I won something at your night I want to be a comedian and they told me you need to book five minutes open spot in a proper uh, night that we do and then we move from there so that's uh, I was very very naive but it was a wonderful. Uh, if you serve the gong uh, and if you don't take it too seriously, because I believe the problem is for, uh, I wouldn't do it now. Probably I would even fail now if I did the gong show again. Because now I am more aware. Now I have, uh, I'm expecting a reaction. I have a set, I think I, how to open, how to finish. I was so raw that somehow they like me. Um, and so it worked eventually. So that was my first, first uh, uh, gig. And, and it, it was the first time I won something. So I thought, oh, wow. Again, a bit naively, I thought I've, I got five minutes. How difficult could it be to add 20 minutes? <laughs> Eight years later, I am still working on my 20. I have now. I have different 20 minutes set, but uh, still working on them. So it, it's, it turned out it's not, not that easy. 
So how did you, one of the things I'm interested in is uh, comedy across cultures. How did you find that English humour differed from uh, comedy you might have seen in Italy or, or how it differs now? In my opinion, there are a few differences. Now I'm also doing comedy in Italy and in Italian sometimes. So I, mm-hmm. I think I'm learning, although I feel more used to the British audiences because most of my gigs are in, a, in, in English and in the UK. I think mm-hmm. that uh, British audience like uh, self-deprecation. They like to laugh at themselves as well. Mm-hmm. So um, they know that, that they go to a comedy club to, to, to enjoy some witty humor, dark humor. Mm-hmm. Italian audiences can be a bit more, um, how can I say, they, they would like to laugh at someone else. Like if you make a joke about another category of people, in experience, sometimes punching down still works greatly in, in Italy. I try not to do it, but I have the feeling that if you isolate a, a, a category and knowing the audience uh, self-identifies as people as part of that category, they're very happy to laugh at them. If you turn the humor towards them, and they get, oh no, this is a bit of, they get, they might get a bit offended if they feel it's personal on them they're more happy to my, my personal experience i'm not saying maybe things are changing or maybe it's just what happened when i was there uh, mm-hmm. but definitely also dark humor is a bit different like if i joke about i like to joke about things that scare me like uh, death uh, um, i'm hypochondriac so i like to joke about this i have a joke silly joke about smoking i say that i don't smoke but i breathe air in uh, north london so it's a matter of and it's kind of a cheaper way of of doing the same when i joke about smoke uh, smoking in italy mainly because italian people tend to smoke more than the people they still they are still uh, uh, they still love the old cigarettes not not much as vaping but a lot of cigarettes but also sometimes you mentioned these things. So now it's a sort of a superstitious thing. You mentioned bad thing happening, it might happen. You mentioned disease, now someone might get. It's, it's irrational, but uh, it's sort of frowned upon. You do not joke about uh, mm. these things because no, no, this is not funny. That's why I want to joke about it because this is not funny. So. That scares me. I'm the first person to be scared. So I want to joke about it because humor makes it are scary a little less scary, in my opinion, and a bit funnier. There's always yeah. a funny side in, uh, in, in things. Yeah. In your latest show, Happy Orphan, you talk about um, themes like death and what have you. So, I mean, tell, first of all, tell me about the show. And then can you talk to me about your experience in Edinburgh with the show? So the show uh, is uh, uh, it's called Happy Orphan, and it is about about me, not about the. I guess there's another Happy Orphan in in London now, but uh, when I wrote this, it was just about me, and we, we can edit out this joke if you want. Because uh, <laughs> once I didn't, I tried once uh, <laughs> in the aftermath of uh, Majesty Pang, and uh, and someone said too soon, which I replied, well, I don't think that for King Charles it's too soon. I think it, it yeah. waited for. I mean, a pure fan is about myself, and uh, uh, I got the idea of the show because uh, uh, talking about this because uh, ten years after my mom's death, I received an email 
cemetery she is buried, where she was buried, telling me that they were about to dig her up. It's a standard procedure, apparently, in uh, the cemetery in my town. For 10 years, they need to make room for new uh, arrivals. So then I had to choose whether uh, going for the private niche in the wall of a which is a bit expensive, or the complimentary free of charge uh, mass grave where they scattered bones of those who don't pay for the private niche. And so this made me think about uh, my mom and the relationship with her. And I just came to the conclusion, I'm much happier since she died. My 10 years without my mom has been among the best years of my life without, she wasn't bad. That's, I, I spent a lot of time saying she wasn't bad. She was an exceptional woman. I'm just happy that she's gone. <laughs> and uh, in talking about this, uh, a lot of fun. It was a therapeutic in a way. I like to, um, it's a sort of a taboo in Italy. If you're a, a Catholic, I am. And son, you, should, you should worship your mom. It's a sort of a, like we, should, we worship Virgin Mary. But uh, I still felt it to, to joke a little bit about, uh, uh, about the upbringing I had. Um, the awkwardness of my relationship with my mom, the awkwardness of the burial procedure, the idea, because I remember the funeral, the burial, it felt like a big moment for me. There to say I was even more involved in that than in the funeral that happened for Her Majesty the Queen. It was much uh, more private. There was no, no, no TV, but at it felt special for me. And I thought, oh, this is uh, the last time I see my mom She's going in the ground. And then years later, it was all about moving things and a sort of a, a logistic nightmare or, or business. And you have to pay for this, pay for that. Bones are put in, in bags. So it was, uh, I think it's fun. It's grotesque. Therefore, it's funny. And, and someone told me also, but maybe your mom, if your mom could see you talking about her, your relationship with her, uh, mm -hmm. in this way, making fun of things that personal, uh, she wouldn't be happy. But the thing is, and I believe in the afterlife, if my mom in their afterlife is somehow forced to watch me from above, you know, doing an Edinburgh Fringe show in a small crammed room, very hot, with walls painted in red and church pews, if she's looking at this, She's not in heaven. My idea of heaven doesn't involve the, the daily vision of your son making fun of you. It's not, it's not heaven. It's not <laughs> what it is. So uh, I'm, it can't be heaven, honestly. And if she's not in heaven, there's very little I can do about this list of her problems. My show. I don't know how to... <laughs> or maybe since in Catholic religion, we have a purgatory, which is a sort of middle... Uh, as bad as hell, but then it grants you promotion to heaven. Then I'm just part of her uh, atonement. And uh, so I'm <laughs> instrumental to her final journey to heaven. So I'm kind of helping her, like a bad hacker <laughs> and to help her. I don't even know. I know this. I mean, I, I believe she's alive somewhere, but I really hope she has better things to do. Yeah. My, what if she saw the previews that were somehow dreadful? Imagine if she had to watch all the previews. Uh, that, that's not hell. My, my idea of hell doesn't involve watching open mics and previews and, and, and shows, probably. But 
Mm. Depends. So tell me about the, your, your Edinburgh experience as a whole then, put, actually putting on the show, promoting the show. I missed the Fringe. I haven't been in the Fringe since uh, the pandemic. So I missed it in 2020 and 2021. I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I needed to be there. And um, uh, I also hired a PR and I found it very helpful. Because, uh, um, her name is Mel Brown for an impressive PR. What I loved is that we worked together since uh, closely from January. She helped me in... Uh, uh brainstorming a possible title mm-hmm. and and i remember i was excited in january we did the the photo shooting for the poster and and it was and she knows everything about the the, the fringe the the backstage how it works so it was very interesting and helpful because uh, it forced me to write a synopsis uh, that means i had to have a clear idea to show way um, months in advance and that helped me in the writing process because first you outline an idea the 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 things that could be interesting that could be funny and then you have to really explore them and so uh, it was an investment uh how do you say when you rise the stakes of the edinburgh journey Mm -hmm. but it also uh, made me sharper and more focused on on the show itself to try and make it work. So for the first time I came to the to Edinburgh. This wasn't my first fringe, but it was with a show that was almost ready from the very beginning. And then of course it changed. It's, it still changes through the weeks uh, because of the more you do, the more you 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 find what could work better. Mm. And every day is is a lesson for good or, or ill, but it's a lesson. Mm. And but this was the first time where I came, I would say almost prepared. And uh, there were fewer people than, than usual. Edinburgh didn't feel as full as it was before. Yeah. And the weather was weird because I was expecting rain. I think this, this didn't help show like mine because we were in the uh, 2, 2.20 p.m. So early afternoon. And normally when it rains, people look for somewhere to go. But if it's a glorious uh, sunny day and you have the meadows and maybe you have already tickets for a late show in the evening, mm-hmm. you really don't want to enter the caves or other <laughs> other uh, dark places in the in in Cowgate. So uh, it was a uh, it was uh, interesting, uh, a bit more challenging. But overall, I got uh, a few very good reviews, like uh, five four star reviews. And what really I, what I liked. Um, quite a few fellow comedians came to see my show. That made me really happy because uh, um, I, I felt uh, special. I, I, I really enjoyed when they come, came to see me. So it was a very positive uh, uh, fringe. I, I managed to see a few shows, not, not as I wanted. I did a lot of uh, spots where I could, so the usual stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I missed it. I'm planning to go back next year, but of course I need to make some money because uh, the accommodations were, oh my God, they, they, these are, I think something has to change. Some, I don't know if, if you agree, but I think uh, something has to change. And also, uh, maybe this is too technical for people who might be interested. A place that I really loved was the Fringe Central mm. uh, in the previous years. This year, it was, uh, it, I went only one, it felt like a business center where you go only to have meetings. So Fringe Center, for those who might not know, is a place where uh, usually you have offices of Fringe Society, the media office, so you can have 
a one-to-one uh, conversation and useful meeting, but also there used to be a used to be a huge space with sofas and areas where you could charge your phone, uh, relax, have a tea, uh, sort of reasonably priced tea or coffee, and uh, uh, um, put the stars on your on your flyers, chat with comedians. Uh, it was really a good good space for performers. Mm-hmm. My experience this year is that this aspect wasn't present in the new uh, Fringe Central, and uh, it was, um, it, it felt weird the old Fringe Society in my opinion, could do much better, but yeah, mm. apparently they don't agree with criticism, so they, apparently they were very happy with themselves, so it's, uh, <laughs> good for them. Yeah. Are you taking this show on tour? So I'm, uh, I should, so I hope to be able to take it to the Soul Theatre, that would be dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, it won't happen before next year, 2023, but I would love to. Yeah. Also, I'm thinking of translating it in Italian and doing it in Italian, uh, changing something probably, uh, adding, not changing, adjusting to the Italian audience. But I would, I'm very curious to see what can happen mm. for an Italian audience because, uh, uh, for example, for most people, what happens with a... Uh, uh, graves and stuff is not a surprise because they've been through the same thing so that big yeah. wow effect doesn't happen mm. but uh fun of your own mom after she's dead this might sound interesting so i think there's a <laughs> i hope to to uh, to get away with this because i was still that i have a i was still that I'm a sort of an endearing person then get away with that on paper, sounds very bad, but once I say them, it's kind of, people are okay with it. So I, I would like to see if I can, if I have this magic in Italian. It might not work, but I look forward to trying. <laughs> so you mentioned there not being able to perform at Edinburgh, obviously because of pandemics. How was your how was your pandemic experience? Were you able to do gigs like online? I did gigs online, but um, mainly sort of free gigs it helped me in keeping uh, in touch with with uh, some people and uh, uh, i got a few followers but i didn't manage to create any uh, viral content i i tried but not enough mm-hmm. uh, i don't i still have to learn to find my voice on uh, on online content. i think i'm too um, probably uh, complicated and to not short enough, not uh, punchy enough to, to break through. So I, I tried. Uh, it was interesting. Hmm. Uh, also, I didn't have, as you can see, I didn't have a great connection, which made the whole pandemic. Right. Um, I used up all of my savings because I didn't qualify for one of any of the helping scheme. But hmm. Okay, but it was interesting. The best thing, and also got in touch with comedians uh, from all over Europe. Uh, like uh, English speakers, so there were uh, we had uh, Zoom uh, meetings with people from um, from Portugal and Finland, uh, Germany, and and we met uh, some of us. We met in Edinburgh some compilation show together. So that was an interesting experience because there's a, a growing scene of. Uh, um, comedy, uh, English-speaking comedy scene across Europe. Mm. And I think that uh, it, it can uh, become a market in the future. We don't know. We hope 
that was uh, very useful. We, we made nice connection. I, I went to Brussels last week and I will be in Luxembourg um, in, in a few days and in the Netherlands. There's a, there's a net that hopefully it will become bigger and bigger. We hope, I don't know. Um, so that was the best thing that happened. But uh, when I did uh, gigs online, I found them very difficult, especially on Microsoft Teams, because you sometimes uh, I was the only camera, on, so you are watching at yourself, mm. and uh, they made they had the microphone mute, and they would like ha 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 on the chat, <laughs> and. Once I did like half an hour like that, and it was so like really, um, it was difficult. Like uh, I, there was a sort of a corporate gig and there were only seven people with a camera on, seven people in total, but they were employee from a company. It was their Friday. Their Friday, they would, then, they would normally spend it on the pub. Pubs were closed, were having drinks at home. Hmm. So you could see some of them. They could see you, of course. You could see when they didn't pay attention because maybe a partner him in the with a beer and they, they stand up and they go to, I don't know, the toilet, a dog walks in. And of course, you are sort of a sentient TV. So you are like a TV for them, but you feel them, you see them. If you watch the TV and say, if you're watching the funeral tonight and you feel going to have a sandwich, this wouldn't... The, the TV wouldn't notice that <laughs> nobody, the, the, ball, the, 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 um, the pole bearer wouldn't notice. They will still do their job, whether you are looking at them or not. But if you're a comedian doing a bespoke comedy gig for them and they end up and go somewhere or they start chatting, you hear them, you see them, and you are not, you're just a TV, you're just a, a, a figure on, their screen, on the screen, sometimes on a small screen. So <laughs> you're not relevant. But you and you should be the center of attention. It's it's, it's difficult. I don't know, complicated mm. and weird. Like uh, maybe it's what happened in a. Okay, now I'm about to say something weird, but <laughs> you know the peep shows. I'm aware of them. Where there's a stripper and there's every every viewers are a different point of view. Mm. Online gigs were sort of like this, <laughs> but I feel that probably in a peep show, at least they are probably enjoying it visibly, but in an online online show, not that much. I don't know. It, you can feel free to edit and remove every uh, inappropriate analogy that I might, because I'm I love that. No, that's fantastic. You mentioned about being able to talk with a network of uh, European comics and perform with them. Is it useful for uh, European comics to come from different countries and be able to share their experiences of performing in in Britain, because obviously they'll all have different experiences from their own cultures. I mean, it's helpful because, well, I also think that probably um, being in the UK gives you a sort of an edge because comedy is is uh, honestly better here. You have to become better. There's there is so long tradition. They always they are comedy saving. They know what they want. They can have every comedy every comedian they want they can uh, watch every comedian as comedians in the world sooner or later they perform in london so if you see a crowd uh, even a, a small crowd in any comedy club in, in london especially you know they could have chosen anything else 
over your nights and you better be good. So this, hmm. this is a kind of I love. They are not very patient, but it is helpful. For example, in Italy, I you could talk for three minutes without an actual joke and people will still listen to you. In the UK, there's no way you... I mean, after three minutes, if, if they haven't laughed, we know. They will let you know that they are dissatisfied with the service that you provide them. In, in, so uh, I believe that living in the UK helps. Uh, being an, uh, a comedian that isn't born in Britain maybe gives you um, a different angle, of course, because there you need to... Because the good thing is, oh, you are the, the, the different one sometimes. Oh, you are the one with the... Uh, distinctive accent mm. but my, my Italian accent was never a problem for for comedy but also you don't want to be just Italian comedian I just I don't want to just talk about Italy because I'm not the ambassador of Italy so <laughs> I just talk about myself whatever I like is important for me mm. um, and uh, so this uh, so as long as you can avoid to be a pigeonholed in to be the stereotypical Italian or a foreigner it's very useful and when you perform in Europe, in my experience, you will perform in a, in a weird uh, audience of expats, like those in Brussels. And maybe out of 200 people, I believe there were maybe 10 or 15 Belgian. Hmm. This was either work the European uh, institutions or a big corporation, big multinational. That, so it, it felt like a very international audience, the one you find in Canary Wharf, if you want, something like that people from all over the place. So mm. that was a, it's, it's a different market. It would be weird having, I don't know, Belgian people that wants to listen to comedy in English. Mm. If they are all Belgian, probably have comedians that speak their own language and they can be a, even funnier. So that was the problem. But so it's, it's interesting. Uh, and yes, living in the UK, I think is a big difference. It makes you, um, forces you to be a bit sharper, a bit uh, better if you can. In 2015, you won the So You Think You're Funny. Yes. How was being in the competition? How was, do they appeal to you? Uh, yeah, I, I loved it. So I, I had started in 2014. I had a very weird uh, career. So I had uh, maybe less than 10 gigs, open five minutes, sometimes mm -hmm. 10. Then... I did my first fringe in 2014 without knowing anything about the fringe because a friend said and I booked a room that was called the Gothic Room of the Three Sisters, midnight mm -hmm. 30. I couldn't see the audience. There was a DJ set, very noisy. Um, people, there were massive walkout at uh, 1 a.m. because, and they were waiting to get to see uh, Shuggers. It was at like 40 past one. I think I performed in front of maybe five people Without people that walking out, the people that stayed through all the show were no more than five every night, probably. Mm. And I didn't have material, so I say I was. Uh, I thought that you had to change material every night. That was my idea of, of the show. It was a disaster, but very useful. Ten open mics and a full run in a fringe where nobody saw me doing nothing, basically. <laughs> and that was the all I knew. So I needed to get back back to some proper gigs with real audience and what i loved of competition because this is common i believe for many people when they start mm. they take part in any competition any competition they find because 
it adds to the, uh, it makes everything more special. If you do the open mind, after a while you are really bored because you know the audience is made up of comedians mm-hmm. and they don't listen to you. So you don't even know if you're working or not. So everyone is there just to get their precious five minutes on stage. So, so I think it was a blessing. It was a, in Waterloo at Slag and Lettuce, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, what I loved is that it's not competition where you need to have at the end of the heat. You perform, it feels like, it feels like a normal, nice comedy night with 10 or maybe a dozen of comedians doing five, seven minutes. And there's no pressure in a way because uh, uh, either all of them virtually could get to the semifinal or none of them. So it's not, you don't need to, to, you don't have that sort of feeling. At the end of the night, there's no losers or winners. You just had a very good night. And in the audience, there are also Julia Chamberlain and the, uh, someone from the panel that will select those who are, uh, according to them, the, the best. But once you don't get it and you have a real audience and they're up for laughter, it's just beautiful. So the, the heat was already wonderful. Mm. Wonderful. Then I had the pressures because in the semifinal, you had to win. So I was very, very nervous. But again, it felt great. It was in the... Uh, in a room with a, I think it's called a wine bar. There was hundred people. Bear in mind, if you do comedy, when you start, you never get to see hundred people. The best you can see, yeah, maybe in Angel. I had uh, I had one Angel come the head, and there were hundred people. But this was different. People bought a ticket to see you, so it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I went and I went to the final. And in the final, I remember I was slightly disappointed at the beginning because. I was the last one, you know, the, the running order. And the last one is not, normally is the headliner, but in a competition, I believe it's not the greatest place because uh, the worst one is the first one probably because you have to, to open and uh, the audience might be not ready yet. But the last one, the audience will be probably tired and it's like, really, you need to, they've seen everyone at that point. So it's hard to surprise them. So I, I thought, okay, Let's do that. Let's enjoy the night. Let's do the best we can do. It's a wonderful stage, huge stage. And uh, uh, and I remember I thought from tomorrow, you keep doing comedy. You don't take this night as a sort of a judgment of your career, which is, I believe, a useful advice. We shouldn't, we should listen to feedbacks and we should uh, uh, read reviews. Of course, uh, every, every, uh, everyone that has an opinion of what we're doing, it's worth listening to. But we shouldn't give these uh, people or um, reviewers of feedback power to to decide for our career. If you really want to be on stage, if you love uh, being vulnerable and be yourself on stage and make people laugh, then you you just have to go in and keep doing it. Even if someone writes something that is very nasty about you, or even if you end up last in a competition, it doesn't mean anything. It's maybe just that you won the right competition for you, or you weren't ready yet hmm. so that was I, I made i had this sort of sort of prep talk with myself before the the final uh, yuri was there also yuriko kotani it was a nice uh, very nice final and when i won i was surprised i was very surprised because i did i thought i did okay i wasn't very optimistic about that but then when they called so they, they didn't call me i wasn't the third i wasn't the one and i thought okay no 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 and then i was doing myself the prep talk, okay, tomorrow you keep doing comedy, doesn't matter. And then they called my name, I won, 
and I'm grateful to uh, Mark Watson, who was the mm -hmm. the main uh, uh, the, the comedian, the head of jury, I don't know, the panel. Mm -hmm. He was, uh, I think, he really liked me. So that was a, I'm I'm really grateful, and that felt wonderful. And I needed, I need, uh, I need to some recognition because again, you can be as optimistic as you want, but it's good when you at some point get some sort of recognition from people that says actually yes you can be funny this might be your uh, your uh, career eventually and since my career started with and nothing happened for a year and a half so you know we have this big unexpected victory mm. then you learn when you go so it's a lot of learning experience it's a lot of uh, mistakes mm -hmm. a lot of bad nights so it felt wonderful when months later I got the to the final and oh yeah I won so it gives you another uh, it's like bouncing back okay now nice and then you you, you look for uh, anything that can keep you going. Hmm. Uh, you said there about lessons. Is there is there an important lesson? What are the most important lessons or philosophies that you've learned that you can take forward? Um, I, I would say um, that you need to get out of the comfort zone every time because for some people yeah going on is already outside the comfort zone but after a while when you do it and you cling to your own material that you know is gonna work then it's not as, as um, it might be you need to force yourself a little bit and say okay let's try something different let's uh, uh let's say something that we uh, initially we wouldn't have said let's uh, find the limit uh, not just in a, in terms of um, i'm not magical me not oh let's push the limit of uh, uh, decency i'm not much into this but let's find your voice deeper and deeper be yourself as much as possible sort of a naked on stage mm. you we tend to have layers we tend to hide be, be behind a mask it could be an italian funny guy it could be the um, the immigrant from the Catholic one, every, every facet of my personality become a mask. So my job is to try and get the, uh, these layers out and be myself because as if you are very vulnerable, I believe being vulnerable in, in the society, most problems happen because people don't admit that they might have flaws. They don't admit they not be as they thought. And it creates barriers. I think the job of a comedian is to show people that, look, I don't respect myself that much. I mean, I'm, I, I treat myself respectfully, but I, I'm not better than anyone else. So if I take, make fun of myself or my dead mom or my religion, maybe we can really make fun of everything because it's just human and make us uh, eventually will feel better. I think this might be a nice uh, lesson for, for sure. Maybe for other people. And, and as a performer, I'm trying to get back to the original, to the energy I had on the, my very first comedy gig. Because at the top six, at the comedy store, when I did the gong show, mm -hmm. I was um, all energy. And now I got to learn a bit more about comedy, about a set, about some technique, because you are more aware, you're less uh, crazy if you want. So I'm trying, now that I'm learning the craft, to go back to the original myself. I had this crazy energy and jumped on the, most brutal open mic in London without even knowing it was the most brutal open mic. Mm. So I would want it to be able to have uh, a good knowledge of 
what comedy is, but with the same sort of uh, naive energy. That would be my, my goal to, as a performer. I think that could be at my best if I manage to get to that point. So, Luca, where can we find out about you? Where can we find out when you're playing? Oh, yes. So, um, I'm on social media, so Instagram, Twitter. Not very active, but I'm trying my best. Uh, is Luca Cupani, so it's my name and surname. Also on Facebook. And uh, uh, comedy-wise, uh, well, this week, I'm a bit international because I will be in a, in a, mainly in, in Europe. Um, uh, I'm looking at the... Uh, so it's, I'm excited. I don't play as much as I would... As often as I would like outside London. So every time I get a chance, I, I love it. Mm-hmm. And I will be at the Leicester Square Theatre for a weird things thanks to a fellow comedian... Is not traditional stand-up. He's called Katsura Sunshine. I don't know if you know about him. He's a Canadian-born, he's a Canadian performer, and many, many years ago, and he's been living there for more than 20 years, and he became an apprentice of a master of Rakugo, which is a sort of funny storytelling, uh, Japanese traditional storytelling, very old uh, way of saying the jokes that they sit down, they kneel down with a kimono and everything. He's been doing this in Man and once a month in London and in New York. Mm-hmm. And since we are friends, we met at the first fringe uh, in 2014. We are in France since then. Um, we decided to try to change the format of his show for, uh, and we, we decided to do a sort of a combination of stand-up and rango. So the first half of the show, we both come on stage and we chat briefly with the audience, which is similar to the Japanese manzai uh, technique, although we don't hear anything, we just improvise. Mm-hmm. Then he does a little bit of stand-up. I do a bit more of stand-up. Then second half, I wear the tono and I do a shorter Japanese uh, version in English, of course, uh, a short story of Rakugo. And then he does a longer uh, Rakugo's story. Did this on September and it was uh, it worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, f- a couple day, ten days ago, and we want to do again on the twentieth of November. So that would be that would be interesting. Uh, it's a very very bizarre, but I believe funny thing, and it might we, we might see what what those different cultures have in common. And we are both out of our places because he's Canadian living in Japan. I was born in Italy and do stand up in English in London. So there's we are where we shouldn't be, but we are just enjoying it. So <laughs> we'll keep doing it. Marvellous. Um, and finally, Luca, how would you please summarise comedy in a nutshell? Oh, comedy in a nutshell? Uh, how many words do I have? <laughs> uh, we'll do just one short sentence. Um, the art of not taking anything seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can expand on it if you want to. Oh, yeah. No, yes. It's, yeah, just finding, finding the funny and share it with people. Because if you just find it and you keep it for yourself, you are a bad comedian and you need to share it. <laughs> Provided they buy a ticket. <laughs> Fantastic. Luca, thank you so much for being with me and talking to me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. Have a day. Thank you so much. Bye.